Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we are talking about children's anxiety because it's rampant in our culture. It's actually one of the most common mental health concerns for children and adults. And research says it affects about upwards of 20% of children and adults over the lifespan. But I would argue that 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 number is significantly higher. I think that number was pre-pandemic so we got a global pandemic to put in there that caused more emotional dysregulation and anxious thoughts and feelings so that i don't think that number is accurate it's still pretty high so think about an anxious personality type and, and you could even well let's let's think on like a continuum here so you've got anxiety in the upper end like heightened energy and anxious feelings and in the middle you've got this presence calm in the low level, you've got depression. So people that are anxious, their thoughts are high. They're in the future. They are having anxiety because they can't stay present. They are stuck in the future in fear. On the downward side of the continuum or the, the lower level, depression, those are thoughts of the past. That means you're stuck in the past. You're still not able to be present because you're grieving the past we're thinking about things of the past. So what heals anxiety and depression? Presence, coming to the present. The more you practice coming to the present, the more you stay in the present, the less likely you are to fall back into anxiety and or depression. So anxious people tend to be more fearful than the average person. It makes sense. They're stuck in thought of the future and fears of the future. So they're naturally more fearful people far less likely to take risks as well. They love routine and structure and often anxious kiddos cannot survive without it. They need to have their day planned out in a very predictable fashion. That makes sense. When you are stuck in the future and you're stuck in fear, you feel like things are out of control. Your brain, your body, your mind's out of control. So naturally to, to, to like feel a sense of control, routine structure helps with that. There might be also heightened sense, like heightened sensitivities around clothing or textures or foods or all these things could relate again back to control, or it could be that the brain is so overwhelmed emotionally with dealing with anxious thoughts that the sensory system just can't take in anymore. It's just too overloaded. So naturally responding to sensory-based activities, things, textures doesn't always go well. And these kiddos typically have more ritualistic-like behaviors. They might only want to do or use certain cups or plates or dishes. They may insist their food be a certain way. Again, this all goes back to control. When life and things feel out of control, 
our subconscious does things to try and regain control. So even though it might feel like they're being very rigid and they're not being very flexible, and it's a silly thing to get upset over, it may be that it's more subconscious than consciously aware that they are being difficult. So keep that in mind. There's something under that behavior that's driving it. And it's not always conscious, logical choice. Because when you are in a dysregulated state, because you're anxious, you don't have as much, if any, access to your logical brain. You're stuck in that emotional brain. So we don't always think clearly. And we don't always make the best decisions, choices, and choose the best behaviors. So there are some things to know about anxiety. And then we'll talk about what are what are kind of some of the effects or symptoms of anxiety. And then what do we do with all these things? So five things to know about anxiety, especially in kids. The earlier, the better. The earlier you can discover it, determine it, figure it out, find it, and get help and support and practice ways to come out of an anxious state, the better things get lifelong. A lot of parents or people think that kids will just outgrow anxiety. That's not always the case. The more we enter into an anxious state, the more we are likely to re-enter an anxious state and the more likely we are to stay in anxiety. So the earlier the child can learn coping mechanisms to get back to that neutralized state, the better. And there are lots of books on anxiety and how to help kids come out of an anxiety, anxious state, or even how to recognize they're going into an anxious state. What else to know about anxiety it is often genetic and that's because it's passed through the epigenome. So even if you are not an anxious person and your child becomes an anxious person, like they have been exposed to things societally, community-wise, school-wise that causes them to develop anxiety, that changes their genetic makeup, the, the epigenome. And if they don't learn to, to manage and deal with that anxiety, their offspring are more likely to be anxious beings. It's fascinating epigenetics. So I'm not going to go into a whole lot there because there's so much to talk about, but it's likely that things like anxiety and depression run in family systems. And if they don't and someone develops it, it's likely that their offspring will also have or be uh, depressive or anxious. We should also note that anxiety can come from a lot of places. It can be societally, it can be community, school. Uh, A lot of people think anxiety comes from someone who has had a bad experience or been exposed to trauma, but that's not necessarily the case. You can be afraid of a dog and feel anxious around dogs without ever having been bitten by one. You can be afraid of certain people without ever having met one uh, doing something harmful. So there are lots of reasons and ways that things can lead to anxiety. And a lot of it is we are overstimulated. There's so much sensory stimulation in our world. When that happens, it overwhelms our emotional brain and we can't think with logic and reason. And then naturally we become more anxious beings because we just can't stay in our thinking brain. There are a lot of physical symptoms to anxiety, uh, like psychosomatic uh, medical conditions. So anxiety can do some crazy things to our body. Upset stomachs, nausea, vomiting. It can cause frequent headaches, constipation, diarrhea. It can even cause shortness of breath, dizziness, chest pain, clamminess, racing heart, panic attacks. Oh my goodness, all these things. A lot of people will constantly clear their throat when they are feeling anxious. Uh, 
Um, some people will bite their nails. They'll pull their hair. They'll pick at their eyelashes or their eyebrows, or even they might even pick at like scabs uh, or acne or something like that. So all of these physical symptoms can arise out of anxious feelings. Because if we were staying in logic and reason, we would know, oh, this is not a good thing to do. But our subconscious takes over, we respond, we react, these behaviors come up. Um, so if you see some of these things in your kiddo, it could be signs that they are feeling anxious. There's also a fine line between giving in to your child's anxiety and being aware of when they have reached their limit. Uh, we don't want to push them too far because that will just push them into a greater state of anxiety. So we want to work on empowering them and giving them the tools they need to come out of that anxious state themselves. And they need to be supported and at times challenged, but not challenged too far that it keeps them in that state. So just being mindful of where, where are they at on that continuum of emotion? How much more can they handle and how much more can they be pushed? And where do we meet them in the middle? So I, I shared earlier, there's some books that are great uh, books about anxiety. So there's actually one called Hey Warrior. It's a phenomenal book. So I would go ahead and check that out if you have young kids. It's a great way to uh, work with kids through anxiety through a picture book that really breaks it down and explains it well. Okay, so if kids are anxious... They might develop fears and phobias. They might be really rigid. They might be overly sensitive or have sensitivities to things. They might really like rituals. They might become a picky eater. They might be following you everywhere. They might even be slow to warm up. And they often have sleep issues. So these are some of the things that can arise out of anxiety as well as the list I gave you previously. So many different things. That's what makes anxiety hard to really determine or figure out because it can include so many different things. But I would say the most common signs of anxiety, you know, that tight chest, that clamminess, that faster heart rate, just tightness, tension. Uh, and if you don't know where these feelings are coming from, it could be feelings of anxiety. And explain to kids, anxiety is when we are thinking about scary things that can happen in the future that aren't happening yet. It's these stories we make up in our minds about what we think is going to happen. Well, those things aren't here yet. They're not, they haven't happened. They may never happen. So you're spending all this energy thinking about things in the future that could happen and we don't even ever know if they will happen. So what helps us come out of that future thought? Presence, mindfulness, lots of ways to do this. So you could work on deep breathing. Deep breathing really like centralizes and, and neutralizes the nervous system. So lots and lots of interactive breathing techniques Lots of examples of this on the Behavior Hub website. I talk a lot about breath work, different ways to do it, ways to make it fun for young kids. So check those out. There are podcasts, there are blog posts, there are courses, there are all kinds of things on breath work. Teaching your kids to talk positively to themselves. It helps bring them back to the presence, uh, present because you know, what you tell your brain over and over and over again, or what your brain hears over and over and over again, it starts to believe, it starts to become reality. So positive self-talk can be helpful as well. Visualizing a calm space. This is a technique I've used from a therapist for years. I created a calm space in my mind. My space, high up, tree house, in nature, calm, quiet, peaceful, high vantage point. And when I created this space, my mind is like my mind box. I closed my eyes and I really like thought about what does this space look like? What does it feel like? What do I smell? What can I touch? 
where is it at? And I created that and I locked it in. And then when I feel anxious, I go to that calm space. You can also create a physical calm space in the house, in the school, in, in wherever you are, where a child can go to, to come back to the present, to calm down, to practice, or to utilize some of these coping mechanisms. I even like like a big box or a bottle or a stuffed animal even that has um, like some kind of compartment in it. Like I have what I call a worry monster and its mouth zip shuts zips shut so what i will do is i will have kids either draw or write or speak their worry to the worry monster or put it in the box whatever it is and we close it up zip it shut twist it twist it shut whatever the thing is and the worry gets held in that box in that stuffed animal in that place that kids don't have to hold on to the worry you speak the worry you release it you don't have to hold it in the body anymore you can make lists of things you're grateful for things that went well that will help to bring back to the present muscle relaxation techniques so it's squeezing a muscle group holding really tight for 10 seconds and then releasing so you could squeeze your toes like toes are squeezing in the mud you could squeeze your hands like you're squeezing lemons you could even squeeze your shoulders up by your ears like you're a turtle all of that will release calming endorphins into the body the body will calm down come back to the present i'm feeling that body work there are lots of sensory strategies, so integration of any sensory strategy, touch, feel, taste, hearing, music, uh, textures, water, any of those things will help bring us back to the present as well as humor and laughter. So anything that you can integrate that's funny or be funny or that your child thinks is funny really, really helps. When kids have a fear of failure and they're afraid to try new things, I would I would practice making mistakes. So if you're working on a piece of art, practice really messing that up. Maybe something tears, maybe the paint goes the wrong way. Maybe you spill something and you you intentionally practice the mistake and fixing the mistake together. So the child learns that mistakes are good and we can learn from mistakes and they help us to grow. Also try to praise the process and not the product. So we often you know, receive something from a child and talk about the thing. Oh, it's so beautiful that's praising the product. What we want to do is praise the process. You work so hard on this picture. I love that you use the color blue and purple and pink or you know, whatever it is, but talk about the things that you see, talk about the things that they did well, not necessarily just an overarching, overarching statement about the end result because they worked hard to get there. If you work on praising their process, they become more confident, they build their self-esteem and they can trust themselves and not fall into that anxious state quite as much sometimes i'll do a stop sign like i'll put stop signs and pace them around the house or put them somewhere where i know the child might feel anxious the stop sign reminds us to stop that crazy wild thought and come back to the presence exercise really helps movement really helps nature walks especially bilateral movements like tap, tap 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 like the the, the tapping of the walking or the running or even bicycling Music is great. The beat, especially slower, lower beats, they really bring the heart rate back down. Kids can squeeze something really tight, like a stuffed animal or squeezy or exercise ball or something. Uh, they can bounce on an exercise ball as well. Try to empathize with a child instead of reassure them. Everything's going to be okay. Mm, that's kind of bypassing their feelings. Instead of like, kind of trying to to reassure them that they're going to be okay instead empathize with them i understand how you're feeling that must be scary feelings words those are, are good places to start over reassurance 
don't avoid things that cause a child anxiety. The more they learn to work through those and the more that you teach them coping and calming strategies and skills to use when they're in those moments, the more they're able to manage and deal with those moments. And the reality is in our lives, things that cause us anxiety can't always be taken away. So we have to learn how to cope and how to deal with them. I think sometimes too, it's fun for young kids to give their anxious thoughts a name, like a like a monster or a thing, and they can name it when it appears, and then they can recognize that it's there, and they can do something to to come back to to presence and to make the anxious thoughts go away, or to make the thing they name it go away. And also remind them that anxiety is not a permanent state, it's temporary state. So it's not going to last forever. It's going to eventually go away and it goes away faster when we learn things that bring us back to the present. And then don't forget to talk about the physical symptoms. What are the physical symptoms that kids feel when they're anxious? That's how they recognize they're anxious. Once they recognize and they become aware, then they can change the anxious thoughts. So that's step number one is recognize the anxiety and then do something to change the anxiety. So lots and lots and lots and lots of things that they can do. Lots of different ways that anxiety can display. It's figuring out and determining, you know, maybe what anxiety feels like for your particular child. Maybe what's causing them anxiety and you may never know that. And then teaching them the coping, calming strategies to get back to neutral when they enter into that anxious state. The more you practice them, the more they utilize them, the less likely they are to fall back into that anxious state. Wowza. That was a lot fast, probably best because I talk fast, especially when I'm talking about things I am passionate about, like anxiety, probably best to go back and re-listen to this or play it in a super slow speed. <laughs> oh, we'll have to do another episode on, on anxiety in the future. Kind of like a recap and uh, to remind your, your, your brains of all these things once again, but I'm going to pause there switch gears and take us to a listener question, which is, how do I reason with my two and a half year old? <laughs> I would say just wait until they're three and a half. <laughs> the the um, terrible twos are bad, just wait to get to the three nature. <laughs> no, two and a half year olds can be reasoned with. It's just a different type of reasoning than you would with an older child or an adult. So the biggest thing with a two and a half year old is they are hyper aware they are more intuitive than the rest of us because they haven't lost that intuitive nature yet so that means that things like body language when you're speaking to them and facial expressions are everything when your body language or facial expressions says something different than what your words say they don't they don't hear your words they see your expressions and they're just so much more in tune with that so check your body language check your expression are you showing respect with those things because if you're not they're just going to mimic you and uh, respect begets respect. The other thing I would say is when, when your child seems like they can't be reasoned with, model what you want them to do. When you model what you want them to do, their brain naturally mimics what they see. So they will start to do what they see. But if you get tense and tight and you get upset, that's what they're going to do. So flip your own emotional state and they will have a better chance of being reasoned with. Also, Kids that are two and a half don't have the full language development yet. They don't have the full like information processing system. So visuals are helpful, like calming visuals or things that you want them to do, or even like little cue cards to tell them what to do without using the words. And when you do use words, keep it short and sweet because they've got to process all that language and then respond and react. Sometimes people say their two-year-old can be reasons with because they don't 
give that two-year-old enough time to be reasoned with. They they use so many words and the child's trying to process. They say the child's not listening and the child never even had a chance or an opportunity to process and respond. So keep it super, super short and sweet. And that takes us to our try it at home tip, which is your environment. Think about the visuals and images you have in your environment. Calming visuals, calming images, keep things more calm. Bright colors, big flashy images make things more intense. So if you are feeling anxious or you're feeling depressed, do the images in your house help you to come out of those states? So if you're feeling depressed, do you have something in your house that kind of boosts energy in terms of images or visuals? If you're feeling anxious, do you have something that calms you? I mean, even if you are like a person who experiences sad uh, seasonal affective disorder, if you're somewhere that's cold and doesn't have a lot of uh, bright sunlight, can you add visuals in that are places that do have that? Maybe like a desert scenery or an ocean. So even if you're not in a space where it's bright and sunny, if you have images of that, it changes your mood. It changes how you feel. And that is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip which is adding positive, uplifting, calming visuals and images to your home, your bedroom, your workspace, office, school, wherever it is. And if you're looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, and the brain, I would love to be a part of that learning journey. The Behavior Hub offers a range of supports from coaching to online courses to group training and even university credit, 4.5 credits. So if you want to learn more about any of these things, just shoot me a text at 717-693-7744. And if you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, email them to me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me. Thank you.